0: Welcome back to this episode of Brain Dump. So this week on Brain Dump we have Alex uh, Alex is a life coach And I had no idea what a life coach was before this So uh, it's great finding out He has a lot of insight on in a lot of different areas So uh, I hope you find this interesting And uh, yeah, enjoy Hello and welcome You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life From the meaningful To the extreme Thanks, Alex, for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, so, Alex, you're a life coach. So what, what, is a, what is a life coach?
1: What is a life coach? <laughs> right, so a life coach, I would say, is an umbrella term for lots of different disciplines. Asking the question, what is a life coach, is a tricky one because there are all kinds of different types of life coaches, or all kinds of different styles of life coaching. Pure form of coaching, like developed in actually in the UK through sports coaching, and it involves asking powerful questions that raise awareness and responsibility in someone else. And so, if you're doing pure coaching, it's not really a teaching role at all. You're not giving life advice. Like a lot of people will hear the word life coach, they don't much about it, and they think it might just be someone. Ranting at you about how to live your life. (laughs) It's actually the opposite of that. It's drawing the best ideas out of a client to empower them to make smart decisions and take smart actions. So, when you're in a situation with a life coach, a good life coach will draw out your best ideas and then hold you accountable to some level or support you in actually taking through those actions, because I don't know if you've experienced this in your own life, but you can have a million and one good ideas and be in a situation where you just can't seem to act on any of them. Mm. So a life coach is also not only supporting, drawing out those ideas, the best ideas, but then supporting you and holding you accountable for taking action. And through that, people work on success, or business or they can apply this same kind of thing to dating and relationships which is where a bit of strategy might come in so like when I said life coaching involves uh, more than just one discipline other life coaches might use other types of therapies or strategies to work with a client the type of coaching I did that I got trained on which was called strategic intervention. And it's the style that Tony Robbins uses. So there is a teaching element. There are elements of like NLP, which I don't really use. um, But there's family therapy influences in there. There's influences from all kinds of different disciplines. I don't work too strictly to like the strategic intervention model, but my style of life coaching works with yes, drawing out those good ideas. Like I said, and supporting someone. Uh, we're following through those ideas, but also incorporating what we could call mindfulness or presence practice or something like that. So what I do personally, you know I market myself as a coach, but I'm really kind of like a coach mentor because there's the coaching aspect, which is working with someone's own ideas, and then there's the teaching aspect, which is um, helping people discover the uh, the stillness within them that still calm space that they can act out on and helping people to come out of the, uh, the mind stream and into like present moment experience. So I'm forming that kind of teaching with coaching to create my style of coaching. Yeah. That's what people uh, get when they work with me. So, but as I say, lots of different life, you know, you might get someone called as that calls himself a spiritual life coach and so they work with the chakras or energies and you might be get a performance life coach, which uses, which they might use lots of like high performance strategies and goal setting methodology and uh, try and get the uh, person to take on lots of healthy habits. Uh, that's something I also use is incorporating healthy habits. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a diatribe, but that is just a snapshot of what coaching entails in its entirety you know it's a it's a really big big question yeah I was gonna say yeah and how long have you been doing this for uh, so I've did my training about two years ago okay and then started taking on a few you know guinea pigs which went well yeah worked with a few people um obviously you're coaching for free and then like as you build your experience uh, you start charging, and uh yeah, like now it's been about two years, and uh fills me with joy
0: yeah, I was going to say what were your your motivations for wanting to be a life coach
1: so i've always been into personal development to some degree, and the idea of self actualization even more prior to that i w- weirdly got into like uh Alan Watts at a very young age.
0: (laughs) Big fan, big fan. When
1: it was when it was Napster. Mm -hmm. And uh I ended up, you know, downloading the talks off of Napster, which was I don't know if you probably won't know that, but it was like one of the first things you could download MP3s on. Okay. Uh pirate style. (laughs) (laughs) Not 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 ethical. Um but yeah, you could get Alan Watts talks on there, and I remember Waiting all night for this thing to download. It would only be a few megabytes. I think i think the talks were about 28 megabytes, but they would take the entire night to download because I had this dial up modem, you know, one that went do, 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 one's like And then in the morning, we had this Alan Watts talk. Uh, a stranger in a chat room was someone who introduced me to him. And through that, I kind of got interested in uh, these teachings that come from eastern spirituality uh lots of different there's lots of different influences on who's informed people in the west that talk about these like these things like adam watts and eckhart tolle and muji now is very popular Mm. um that sparks my interest in that kind of stuff and then the personal development stuff followed from it i think the first book that i read in line with that is. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, That was like, I didn't know what to expect when I was reading it. I just remember thinking, God, it's hard to read because I'm just doing so many things wrong. (laughs) It's like kicking my ego here. Um, But that really inspired me to think, you know, you can read a book and have so much growth from it. And then, you know, combine those things over years and always had an interest in it to some degree. But what really sparked it a few years ago was off the back end of a breakup. Like, I was not in a good place for a few months after that with a lot of. This is like a type of trauma or a type of grief, isn't it? Someone you've been with for 10 years, suddenly that kind it of disappears from your life. So, and you got so much of your like personhood kind of tied up in that relationship. So, Anybody knows who's been through uh, a big breakup knows it's a chance to rediscover yourself, but uh what it was is that because I had gone to a bad place, I was then applying all the strategies that I had learned before. you know when everything's going good, sometimes it's not that inspiring to go on a personal development journey or meditate for hours or anything I, like try cold showers but When you go to sort of darker places, that creates a desire inside of you to liberate yourself from that suffering. So, you know, I didn't want to be someone who was suffering from a breakup. I wanted to move on Mm. and get on with my life and, you know, do cool things. So I applied all this stuff and I found out that it was leading me to a very happy place, you know, just a few months after. I just remember having this time where I was out in the sun in a pub garden on my own. And I, you know, I had half a pint, you know, wasn't really under the influence of any alcohol. I just had this realization that I felt just really, really happy, you know, probably the happiest I've felt in maybe my entire life, you know, so at that point in time, I remember thinking, I need to share this with other people in some way. I remember thinking I haven't got loads of money. No, I live in a nice place in Bristol, but I made a lot of effort to get here. Um haven't got tons of friends. I'm not in a relationship. This is coming from somewhere else. This is coming from the joy of just being. And so from that I think I just started to look at ways in which I might be able to communicate this and help people to discover this aspect inside themselves like I was trying to discover before. So I think I ended up at a coaching course from that. Actually, they were advertising to me. Actually, they were advertising to me. It's this thing where, you know, like the phone's probably listening to you (laughs) and it is crafting advertisements. Oh, he's interested in coaching. Let's flash coaching courses at him. man. I had a look at it, and I thought, you know, actually, yeah, this is, this is, you know, I'll pay for this. I'll do this. Um, yeah.
0: It's interesting you say that because I, uh, I I've, found uh, I've, you know, had a few traumas in my life as well, and um, it is definitely the best grower within your life when you bounce back from trauma. Uh, it's also interesting what you're saying about how this coaching course and communicating with others, because uh, I, I find as well as benefiting and helping spreading compassion and things to other people. But it's also really therapeutic for yourself Mm -hmm. by helping others. You you can identify patterns in yourself. And part of the motivation for this podcast was purely to meet different people, explore different ideas. And it's just done tremendous for myself as much as anything.
1: Yeah. Um, I won't be great with the technicalities on this, but there's, this concept that Vishen Lakhani from Valley uses, um, talking about, he's kind of borrowed this idea from the yeast, but talking about, you can have growth through Satori, which are like, I guess you could say, miniature enlightenment experiences, and growth through Kensho, which is uh, the, the suffering. So it's good to aim for a life, where we're growing through more of these satori experiences because obviously we want to have a life full of ease and peace and flow we don't want to uh suffer if possible but that's the great thing is that either way you go there will be some kind of growth and eventually through any kind of suffering there is a level of liberation if if you just um You know, it's good to have when you if you've got access to the right teachings, you've been exposed to the right things. That certainly helps. Um, In conjunction with those teachings, you can use your pain and trauma to completely liberate yourself from a massive proportion of psychological suffering because it forces you to learn about the root of the dysfunction as opposed to just hiding it with Uh, you know stimulants or Mm. smoking or drugs or alcohol or whatever else it is so
0: yeah yeah. no true that's definitely like there's also got to be like a a willingness to to change i find that when i was because i i suffer from depression and when i was at the root of it it was very much a self-fulfilling thing it was a a self-encapsulating where i was definitely negative because it was almost negative was familiar and it was easy to be negative where when I started, you know, shifting that to actually I want to change. I want to, I want to get better and I want to move out of this. That's when all this, then I bounced back like 10 times and I realized that because of this negativity and this trauma, actually, I've learned so much about myself and I'm, you know, almost feel much more, I feel stronger and almost invincible because I know that I've been that low that I can, you know, come out the other side almost
1: yeah absolutely um i think any state that we stay in for a while it's very hard not to have that become part of your identity to some degree uh, because you've got behavioral patterns there um, and then you're taking different actions than what someone in a different state would take and it's Leading you to live a certain kind of life and you can get used to that uh you can get used to any kind of way of being and start to base an element of identity around it and this is you know this is the part of the root of the dysfunction is those kinds of identities because we have we start to get a mental narrative about ourselves and about our suffering and uh we become identified with that and then mm. that starts to colour our experience in a way.
0: Yeah, interesting you bring that up because I was watching some of your YouTube videos and one of the phrases you used was disidentify the mental narrative. And I was wondering if you could expand on that because it sounds exactly what you're, you're hinting at there.
1: Yeah, this is something... This is a teaching rooted in Eastern spirituality. You could say um, it's the core of mindfulness, which we know uh, has profound impacts on well-being. Now, but when I say disidentify from the mental narrative, what I mean is that we go through life and we have this mental narrative going. So there's a story of me that plays over in our head i have a theory that this developed uh long ago as a protection mechanism because obviously if you're out there in uh the wilderness you need to it's very good to have a self-concept and it's very good to uh, for that self- concept to be leaning towards it being in danger and needing to defend itself all the time, having you on the lookout for all of these dangers. But as you know hundreds of thousands or however many years has gone by, we're now living in a modern day environment with this mental narrative going on that always has this element of defensiveness or it it needs to kind of add on to itself um it likes to achieve for the sake of boosting its sense of self it it's very judgmental if you notice you get judgments about people in your head and you think oh why did i think that (laughs) you know it's basically all of the other information that we've received from the external world mashed up like everything you've ever heard and said uh, sorry everything you've ever heard Everything that other people have said, all the ideas and beliefs, go in and mash up in your mind, and uh, produce. It's producing these thoughts. It's producing this narrative. Now, this is useful. It allows us to talk to ourselves in our own head and plan things and extrapolate this this, this self concept. And so, you know, we can put ourselves in other people's shoes and stuff. But it's got dysfunctional where in this modern day world, we identify a sense of self in it almost constantly. And so this narrative is running and because we're seeing a sense of self in it, we're always following it along. And whatever it's producing, then dictates and colors our experience. So if we haven't had a lot of sleep, or you know, we've eaten something bad, it's, that has an effect on our thoughts, And then we're producing more negative thoughts. And if we're identified with them, then then those negative thoughts become our reality. So disidentifying from the mental narrative, what that means is to realize that those thoughts are just an aspect of what's appearing in your experience. They're not who you are at your core. I think a lot of us think we are in the mental narrative in our core like we follow it that becomes our sense of self and it's it's very emotionally heavy so it's very visceral Mm. um but when the emotions go and when the story of me goes and it's stopped for a split second you the deeper you is still there you know it's still experiencing even if there aren't any thoughts you don't actually need thoughts to experience Uh, you you don't even really need sensory input to experience there's a knowing within you a beingness within you that watches everything and when you can make that space your home as opposed to being always identified with this mental narrative that tells a story about i or me then that's you taking your power back, that's you existing in the present moment and not always being captivated by these stories about the past and the future. Um, so a way to accelerate this disidentification process is to use mindfulness or a presence practice because first of all it's that recognition that I am not my thoughts at the very core, That And that that puts you in the observer position, right? Because immediately you're then watching them. And then the second step is to make that watching place your abode, you know, have an anchor there. So you're practicing moving your attention and awareness into your sensory uh, field. Like so your vision, your hearing, touch, taste, smell. That's the present, right? That's what's going on in the moment the only thing we ever have the thoughts are usually or probably always about past or future so that's uh that's a mindfulness practice that will uh, accelerate the disidentification process so you can have that narrative running and it's going to do what it does but you don't necessarily have to always be dragged along by it or believe everything it says mm
0: yeah it sounds a lot like um what Eckhart Tolle says about watch the watcher
1: is it watch the watcher watch the thinker you mean
0: watch the thinker that's the yeah 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 and that um yeah what you're saying sort of like explains that very succinctly
1: which which is great well it's all the same teaching he's pointing to something within us and I'm just doing the same thing. Okay. I mean, I've probably, I've borrowed language, like everybody borrows the language off of other people. I borrowed some language off Eckhart Tolle, borrowed some language off Alan Watts, borrowed some language off of Rupert Spira, who is someone else who took, talks on this kind of stuff. And all of these great sages and mystics and modern teachers um, are just uh, pointing to the same thing. It's the same message. It's just what works best for each individual. Some people receive a certain teacher mm. really well and some people, uh, and, and that cha- that can change, uh, from even from day to day or year to year, um, certain teachers three years ago, like I didn't really resonate with, and now I do, and then vice versa. So, yeah.
0: So along with some other videos of yours, I've watched, uh, you you seem to be a promoter for no fap can you explain this uh and how does it help
1: (laughs) have you looked into it (laughs) i have i have you are aware of what it is i am yeah exactly yeah okay and have you heard anybody else that's into it
0: yeah i have i have a friend yeah right
1: okay and uh he speaks positively about it <laughs> oh yeah he speaks really positive right about it. okay but it, it, i've never tried it
0: myself but it sounds it sounds profound like some of the some of the sort of side effects that he was telling me about is 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 quite phenomenal
1: yeah i mean there's a whole running joke about nofap on youtube now like people were saying nofap gives you superpowers and then it just kind of become this meme that's got out control, mm. and uh, now I've seen big, big YouTube channels doing parodies on this. You know, people doing no fap and going invisible, <laughs> <laughs> being able to move objects with their mind and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I haven't found, for me, that's the case. So anybody who's listening to this is probably thinking, "What the hell is it?" Yeah, yeah. So it's abstinence for any period from masturbation. That's what it is.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I think in this Western culture, most guys at least are pretty regular. Um, we have a lot of high-speed 4K, never-ending novelty porn,
2: yeah.
1: um, which has become a bit of a drug of the masses and is not really talked about as such. It's a little bit underground. It's a little bit something that people hide away, but... If you look at the amount of porn that's on the internet, like in gigabytes or terabytes, you probably couldn't even measure oh. it in that.
0: <laughs> it's terrifying, isn't it?
1: That just shows you how, how big it is. I'd say maybe even bigger than cat videos, I'm not sure.
0: No, yeah. And do you, th- do you think the whole no fat movement is a way of upsetting or dislodging that mental narrative?
1: Um, interesting question. Yes, to a degree it feeds into it exactly how is there's lots of different teachings on it so in hinduism there has been this thing brahmacharya for for a long time which is which is more uh yeah it's related to moderation and it was believed that moderation with these things contributed towards being propelled along the spiritual path and From what I've seen in the spiritual community, it 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 kind of varies. Like some people are very free, talk very free about sexuality, and some people are like masturbation's bad. You know, it's just going to ruin your life and everything. I don't take an extremist kind of opinion on on either side. Um, What I believe in is people being aware of something trying it out for themselves and making an informed decision based on that um Mm. it's something that definitely made me very aware of how i'm shall we say spending my energy we don't realize that there is energy there in some kind of way even if just even if it's just a metaphor even if there's it's just something about the biological processes. Um, it's our most primal instinct to procreate, and so you'd—it makes sense that our biology would have some heavy processing around this kind of system. And it turns out that if you're not um, satiating yourself all the time with pornography, then things change. Um, mm you start to have a different experience in the way that there's a lot of energy there. You have to keep it circulating. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
1: But, you know, we live in a culture where previous, it's not so much a thing nowadays, but obviously in the Christian tradition, there's a bit of a moralistic kind of thing around uh, sexuality. I don't take, this is not a moralistic thing. This is not saying anything about morals. This is about how uh, we relate to our sexuality and how that impacts our biology and how we feel day to day. It's all about how we feel because that's what people are after on NOFA. They want to feel better. They want to uh, be more confident and stuff like that. In terms of how it relates to the, ident- the mind identification, a lot of people experience that uh, there is less negative uh, thinking and there's a natural disposition towards that disidentification whilst, like, on, on a long NoFap streak. Mm. Some people say that, yeah, it does have a profound effect on the ego. And that, that's what ego is, by the way. It's basic explanation is that it's identification with that mental narrative and uh, and identification with the sense of self that's in that thought narrative that that's ego um, and people say that it has a profound effect on ego and helps to quieten it
0: interesting because it especially sort of the 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 instant gratification which I feel is is obviously quite you know we surrounded with it with social media uh, and that's one of my sort of sort of qualms with the this podcast is i I don't want it to turn into a uh into the followers and the numbers and stuff because ultimately I am just doing it for fun mm. but then at the same time i do i am quite proud of making this thing, and I am quite proud of you know all that hard work I put into it, and so it's a fine balance between sort of that gratification which feeds the ego but then also you know just you know not having not being involved in it at all and i find that 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 line is very hard to to walk
1: sure um even alan watts said he thought it was healthy to he kind of put it in this way healthy to go through life with just a tiny tiny bit of resistance tiny tiny bit of ego enough to keep you human (laughs) but the thing is that happens naturally with a mindfulness or presence practice anyway because i've been practicing this kind of stuff for years and even now there's times where for a second i get kind of caught up in this thing you know this 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 mental narrative and of course it gets more challenging as the life situation gets more challenging you it's all very easy to be Zen when everything's peaceful and going great, mm. but try it um, at Christmas with your parents. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I bet. <like that>, yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you know, in it, it, interactions where there's so much pass, try it with someone you don't get on with. The ideal is that you get on with most people.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but for sure, these are the great places to practice uh, this kind of stuff. Is places where it is more challenging and it's going to trigger your ego
0: for sure yeah no okay so do you think a lot of the sort of these big egos and instant gratification are all sort of influenced by our current culture and society
1: obviously social media is having a massive effect Mm. lots of people are talking about that (laughs) (laughs) the social media algorithms are written for perpetual instant gratification they're written to spike dopamine in little bits consistently it's like little rewards and when we spend a lot of time on social media what we're actually doing is rewiring our brain for those micro rewards so that starts to transpose over to how we behave in life um and it's so wide into people's reward systems now to different degrees. Um, but obviously you'll see some people, you'll be in a restaurant and everybody being on their phones and not even looking at each other. Yeah. Or you've just maybe got you just know someone in your life that you know you're gonna be halfway through a conversation with and he or she is suddenly gonna put out their phone, just like nothing's like like they don't even know that they're doing it. Mm. It's so, so wired in. I remember when I was trying to purge myself from Facebook and I would find myself automatically typing Facebook into the browser and going, what the hell am I doing? Mm. But that's how hardwired these things become. We start to act, um, act them out on even a subconscious level. So yes, we have to be aware of that with social media. I'm not demonizing social media. It's great, it brings many great things to the table. What we have to do is start growing as a species and having some understanding about how our reward mechanisms work and how we work um, as individuals and therefore manage what we do based on the best information out there. We know that social media um, is being programmed to do this so that we stay on the platform and they make lots of money from advertising. Um, (laughs) 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 But we also can use it if we just uh, recognise that this is a thing and to limit our time to some degree, have different... I even think a good bridge is voice messaging, you know, a lot of people are on Facebook and then they go to WhatsApp and then the text continues. But with WhatsApp and messenger, you can press the button and record a voice message. And it's, it's, it's not as, as multidimensional uh, multi-dimensional as real life, but it certainly is completely different
2: mm, from
1: right. just talking around text. So whether that's not really a cultural thing, this is a technology thing. Um, In terms of culture, some people in the NoFap community like do argue that culture, in terms of advertising, is very sexualized. Yeah. I mean, this is why we have to be aware of what we're exposing ourselves to. It's good to recognize these cultural influences um, on our behavior but not to, I I think it's unhealthy to go into this kind of blame thing because in a way we have to take responsibility. It's very, it, it can become a very infuriating space to be, to point at the rest of the world and say, you're conditioning my mind with social media to have a low attention span. And now there's all this sexualized advertisement everywhere. And, but you know we're all creating this world together if we want a better environment that leans uh towards a better kind of well-being it's about being aware of what we're consuming because at the moment we still have control of that mm. <laughs> you don't have to watch tv for hours a day you don't mm. have to be on social media so I really recommend that people experiment with being on different platforms for different lengths of time and seeing how it makes them feel, um, whether they feel happier not reading the Facebook news feed, for example. Yeah. Or whether or not it takes something away from their life and to make decisions based on that.
0: Okay. I've also watched a uh, YouTube video of yours where you talk about, I'm going to absolutely butcher this. Ikigai
1: Ikigai yeah. yeah
0: and so I was wondering if you could explain explain this and and because I know it's it's all about purpose and finding purpose in your life. Mm-hmm. But I was I was going to ask like how does one find ikigai? How does one find your purpose?
1: Well, in terms of ikigai now this is something that I could speak on to some degree but I don't know enough about Japanese culture to know that I'm right about everything I'm saying. What I'm talking about is some kind of Western interpretation, some kind of reinterpretation of this concept. And as far as I'm aware, it's pretty accurate to the original concept, but it's all about combining what you're good at, what you love to do, what, what you could potentially make Money from, and what contributes positively to the world. So those four things. Okay. Um, whether that was spe- is specifically talked about in Japan in relation to Ikigai. According to some Japanese commenters I've seen, the concept isn't really in mainstream Japanese culture. Um, and that particular person said it would be good if it was, because they liked the concept um and i think that's there's a lot in it in terms of looking to see if you can vector those four things i mean you can draw four circles can't you and but what what could i possibly get paid for and list everything what do i love to do what you know do i think i'm quite good at although you know you can learn pretty much most skills And what is going to have a positive impact on the world and see what converges Okay. because I think there's this idea that people have this kind of divine purpose and passion. And that may well be true if someone feels a calling in their heart or they're feeling that they're in touch with some kind of infinite intelligence and there's some kind of guidance there, or, you know, they're able to listen to their true self and that's, talking their purpose to them, then great, that's 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 really empowering. It's following your intuition to a certain degree, surrendering, dropping a lot of that identification with the thinking mind and just acting on intuition and acting on a lot of your joy, what interests you, what makes you curious, what fires you up because you can see it's uh exchanging good energy with other people. it's it's all very good to look at that um it's even better if it's sustainable and it's more sustainable the more it has potential to support a lifestyle okay if you can support a lifestyle then you can really expand on it Mm. you know yeah for sure you can make money as a musician you're really going to be able to like make a lot of music and do a lot of djing because you're getting paid for it every day so Yeah, I recommend when people are finding their passion to look at those four things within that ikigai model Um, and just try things for a period of time. A lot of the time people don't find their passion is because they give things up too early. They try something for 15 days, 20 days, and then, oh, okay, this isn't that great. Maybe I'll sell the banjo or the piano or whatever it is. And then they go on to something else and then they go on to something else. But the real joy and rewards in anything come at working at it for years. Now that's not to say you won't enjoy it um, until that point, but at least a few months. Mm. Give anything at least a few months. Because if you're just dropping things, You're never going to get to that point where you start to see uh, really how this thing works and it's nuts and bolts, how people, other people respond, how my being responds to having some kind of skill level there and being able to enact it out and get into some flow with it, whether it be business, art, stock trading, uh, music creation, creating a. Restaurant, it could be anything. Mm. It's all these integral parts that make up that activity. Like when you go into it, it's like, what am I enjoying here? What am I enjoying about it? How is this serving the world? How can I leverage this to provide me a lifestyle? If you can get deeply into something with that level of curiosity, you're going to find your passion, and it could be anything. I don't think we're born necessarily to do one thing. Mm passions can change over time, or they can, people are multidisciplinary, you know, people have multiple different, you know, you look at someone like Darren Brown, he's got his TV show, and his shows, and then all the preparation that he has to do for that. And you think, well, how has this person got time for anything else? He probably just manages to squeeze a relationship in there, and some friends, but mm. no, he's doing like full canvas artwork at the same yeah, time
0: yeah yeah, he's an impressive
1: man, actually. I love so that. <laughs> but we all have the ability to do that kind of stuff when we get out of our own way and follow our curiosity and our and our joy
0: mm. So this is a question that I think resonates with not just myself but a lot of others sort of in my my peer group. Um, How do you deal with life transitions? So let's say moving from a student life to a working life.
1: Life transitions, um, acceptance probably.
0: Mm, It's
2: difficult.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Acceptance is probably where it's going to start because by asking the question, you're saying that there's a problem, that there's a challenge um if i'm going from school to college there's a challenge maybe my friendship groups is changing maybe i'm having to walk a different way <laughs> when i leave my house and arrive at a different building <laughs> with different people and different things going on um now the mind can tell a negative story about that or it can tell a positive story and it's going to tell a more negative one if it's a more challenging uh, situation like you find out you don't like the college, or you don't like the new job, or you don't like the new relationship, Um, that's when it becomes more of a challenge. But from that place of inner acceptance, then you're more empowered to make more intelligent decisions anyway. Because from a place of resistance, you're thinking about everything you don't like about something, which is good to recognize and discern what you do and don't like in life. But it, you often go into this place where you become victims to these kinds of circumstances and it just weighs down on you. And, and that prevents you from taking good action because you're drained as well from resisting like any kind of change, like having some kind of inner surrender and acceptance to it is a place to start because it means you don't have to accept things internally. It's, it's the internal thing that I'm talking about. Like, you can change things but it starts with not minding what happens so much (laughs) yeah (laughs) not minding that's a very simple way of putting it
0: Mm. no it's powerful though i think uh it's it's like going back to that instant gratification where we get very comfortable and we get you know the, the likes or we get you know you know we have our friends on tap and things but the minute the the familiarity of our our current environment is shaken up a bit. it is scary because that that change is is difficult to accept like like you
1: said well, obviously the social media and anything that is a kind of a, st- a stimul that you can overstimulate yourself with this is drugs and alcohol, which is a drug, even some people go crazy on like. Exercise to the point where they're tearing their bodies apart. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) Like pornography again. None of these things are bad in the sense, you know, a lot of the time people point towards certain things and say that's bad because they have a certain experience with it in their life, or they or they maybe live with someone who's having a dysfunctional relationship to any one of these things, and then It's that thing that becomes the bad thing. Drink is really bad or pornography is really bad or whatever. Um, Now, there are some people that just have to. It's useful for them to stay away from certain things, you know, Mm. um, because they've got a very addictive personality and um, it's just a good strategy to be like, okay, I'm going to just completely cut that one out because... Whenever I go anywhere near it, things don't end up pretty. But it's more—it's even more powerful to, like I say, get to the root of it because the problem is—is when you're stepping out of those, when you're stepping out of that kind of lifestyle of the instant gratification, your dopamine system is—is can be very out of whack in the sense that when you continuously spike dopamine with progressively. Uh, stronger stimulation your brain actually down regulates the dopamine receptors and so you don't get as much of that good pleasurable feeling obviously this is how people get themselves in trouble with this kind of stuff is because the dopamine receptors are downgraded and so of course the down regulated so of course the person needs we need more of that thing to, to then stimulate us again and then we need more and we need more, whether that's more food or more novel pornography or more exercise like endorphins or more alcohol, whatever it is. And the further along you are down that path, the more when you step out of that space, is there's going to be this kind of uh, feeling of unease almost. Because your dopamine's low and your cortisol's going up because your body is like giving you some stress hormone and to kind of as a defense mechanism to start looking for these these uh, kind of stimulating things again and so that's when it becomes more of a challenge to kind of stay in that present space because in that present space there exists within us a lot this kind of unease and it, it will dissolve itself but first of all it needs our awareness and attention It needs us to be able to be in that space without refeeding it with all this kind of, whether it be excessive thinking or anything in excess. Um, A lot of people quake in their boots at even the thought of meditating because they have this instinctual sense that just them as they are is not a comfortable place. And that's the sad reality of where we've got to people think god i can't even meditate because you know i'm going to be fidgety and oh god then the minds i'm going to be worrying and everything's going to feel like intense and so you know like the the power is in being able to be the container for that kind of present moment awareness and just be uh there with your own feelings and emotions to a certain degree and your own thoughts but just as an observer holding the space for them and that Will eventually dissolve that kind of and dissipate that energy and leave you feeling peaceful and happy because there is inherent peace and happiness in just being this is what these teachings are saying that your true essential nature beyond all of these concepts is um, a, a peaceful essentially a peaceful one because it's not colored by all of these stories and narratives and the sense of self that gives us all this suffering. Yes, sometimes in that space, if you're withdrawing, if you're having alcohol withdrawal or something and your biology's all messed up and you go into that space, obviously you're entering a present space that has that got some level of discomfort with it. But staying in that space will eventually bring you back to a kind of homeostasis and a peace.
0: I, well, I say I meditate, but I go through bouts of doing a lot of meditation and bouts of not doing a lot mm-hmm. of meditation uh and again like like you're saying i the times where I'm meditating like very frequently is it gives me like a buffer against life, and I feel a lot more content, a lot more tolerant of stress mm-hmm. but also, like you said, the minute I fall out of the habit, it's so hard to get back on that train, and I think it is because you know the inner workings of my mind is like oh I can't be bothered to deal with this and I and I don't want to just sit down and do it because of of, because of this messy noise that's constantly going on inside my own head
1: well I mean meditation is great but and when I say meditation I mean meditation as in a practice of say sitting or doing a walking meditation a specific time where you're Doing a meditation, a mindfulness practice—that's that's great because that's helping to still the mind. But it's not sufficient on its own in the sense that if you just meditate for ten minutes to an hour a day, and even if you go through that process in meditation, if it's an objective meditation, bringing your focus back to an object consistently, training that kind of focus. Um, if you're only doing that, and then you're spending the rest of your life frantically running around, I'm not saying you're doing it, <laughs> I'm just giving an extreme example, um, and you're frantically running around everywhere, and we yeah. identify with this mental narrative that's always defensive and judgmental, and, and you're living that kind of life, then obviously, you know, you're not getting the kind of benefits that a mindfulness practice has, life becomes the mindfulness practice. The best mindfulness or presence practice is your current situation, because it is easier to be still uh, when there's not so much kind of sensory input. If you can be internally still when also there is sensory input, when there is people saying annoying things <laughs> and so-called irritating people and, you know, dogs barking outside your window all night, someone snoring, uh, like that one person at work that triggers you,
2: mm.
1: whatever it is, if you can maintain this kind of awareness, um, that's what's really going to power things up in the long run. A meditation practice is great but you've got to combine it with a day-to-day, uh, this day-to-day kind of. I don't, want to, I don't want to say this. I don't want to kind of paint it too much as a practice because it, then it becomes a thing, like a thing to do. It's a way of being. In fact, it, it is your being. It's just re-remembering that and making your home as that awareness.
0: Interesting, yeah. No um. So moving on, entirely different question. I, you were saying in some of your videos that you were eating more plant based. Are you? Does that mean you're vegan, or how, how have you implemented sort of your diet? How does your diet factor into your life?
1: Um. Well, obviously we have labels, and people have all different connotations of different labels. Um. Veganism just basically means a way of living that tries as best as possible to avoid the exploitation of animals. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. Hope, you know, hopefully I'm okay at it. <laughs> um, I'm the same. <laughs> and, and yeah, so if that's, if that's what a vegan is, then yeah, I guess I'm vegan. Um, so just in my answer there, you can see, I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of people don't realize that veganism isn't a diet it's It's a philosophy. <laughs> plant-based is a diet. Um, vegans eat a plant-based diet or what some people call a vegan diet, because a plant-based diet is what liberates uh, animals from exploitation to the best degree possible. Some people argue this, but um, you know it's planting crops which some animals can get harmed in the crop production and stuff, but it's not actually eating animals or their byproducts.
0: Okay. And have you noticed any health benefits or does it make you feel any better or anything like that?
1: Well, imagine you just asked me, are you vegan? I said yes. And then you're expecting health benefits, but I told you I'm eating Oreos and chips all day. (laughs) Bears. So... (laughs) That's, that's the distinction there. I'm not eating Oreos and chips all day. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> but to know. you can be, and that would be perfectly vegan. So a vegan diet isn't necessarily healthier. You could go from a diet of eating meat and eggs and cheese and go to an even more unhealthy vegan diet. However, a whole food plant-based diet happens to be vegan. Um, and as far as evidence goes that I can see it's the, if not one of the healthiest diets in the world. And I try to lean as close to that as possible. Like I'm not perfect with it. Like I eat flapjacks, which have probably got some oil and syrup in sugar, refined sugars. I eat some mock meats and things like that every so often, not too heavy on it. and obviously, probably have like some sauces and things out of the odd bag. I love I'm really into crisps and chips at the moment. But it's leaning towards whole plant food. So it's in the name. Foods in their in their whole form. I mean, they can be blended up into a burger patty, they can be in a curry, they can make up some tacos. They can be if you think you take the whole of a plant. Um and you go, "I'm gonna put that in a dish, and then you realise that there's like something like eighty thousand edible plants or something like that. The amount of things that you can do with that is obviously yeah, you know use your imagination for sure, yeah, so people think you know this is restrictive mm. um I would like to get progressively even further towards just being strictly whole food plant based um but I do like the old snack.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, before we wrap up, how can people reach
1: you? Uh, probably the best way is to go to my Instagram, Alex underscore Shayla. Send me a DM. Cool. Sour me. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't got Instagram, you can email me, um, Alex at Insight ocean, So Insight. in insightfulocean.com cool
0: and what is the name of your youtube account
1: uh conscious personal growth so if you search that or if you just search my name alex shaler s-h-a-i-l-e-r you'll get there you'll find a way to talk to me
0: brilliant well thank (laughs) you so much it's been an absolute pleasure awesome cheers
1: thanks for having me Connor.
0: So uh, that does it for this week's episode. I uh, hope you enjoyed. Alex seems like a really cool guy with a lot of insight onto a lot of different areas. Uh, So definitely check him out on uh, YouTube or Instagram. Um, Yes, so next week, I say next week, but there's very limited structure to these. So uh, as and when, because I'm an absolute cretin. But uh, we'll probably have an episode on my trip to Amsterdam with my good friend Steve so something a bit different uh and yeah if you'd like to get in touch you'd like to get involved you have a story or a topic you'd like to discuss just drop me a message because I'm always willing to hear new and exciting stuff um keep posting on facebook everything's going great love that also get your questions in for the AMA because time's running out and I want to get that in the bud soon um, yeah thanks for tuning in